I will be reading from the complete Jewish Bible, Psalms 118, verses 5 through 21. From my being hemmed in, I called on Yah. He answered and gave me more room. With Adonai on my side, I fear nothing. What can human beings do to me? With Adonai as on my side as my help, I will look with triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in Adonai than to trust in human beings. It is better to take refuge in Adonai than to put one's trust in princes. The nations all surrounded me. In the name of Adonai, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side. In the name of Adonai, I cut them down. They surrounded me like bees, but were extinguished as quickly as a fire in thorns. In the name of Adonai, I cut them down. You pushed me hard to make me fall, but Adonai helped me. Yah is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. The sound of rejoicing and victory is heard in the tents of the righteous. Adonai's right hand struck powerfully. Adonai's right hand is raised in triumph. Adonai's right hand struck powerfully. I will not die. No, I will live and proclaim the great deeds of Yah. Yah disciplined me severely, but did not hand me over to death. Open the gates of the righteous for me. I will enter them and thank Yah. This is the gate of Adonai. The righteous can enter it. I am thinking of you because you answered me. You became my salvation. Last Shabbat, we read from uh, Psalm 116. Thank you. And um, especially verses 3 and 8. Um, don't you love how Scripture, especially the poetic portions of Scripture, are so graphic? The cords of death entangle me. You know, you think of uh, someone um, grasping for for air and being choked by uh, seaweed. Isn't that a pleasant thought? (laughs) Um, The anguish of grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. But you have delivered my soul from death. You know, you find this kind of a pattern in the Psalms over and over and over and over again. Um, I don't know about you, but that's one reason why the Psalms really speak to me. I know they speak, they've spoken to people for the last couple of thousand years because that's what life is about, folks. You know, you live long enough and you run into stresses and difficulties and challenges that make you feel like waves are coming at you 
tidal waves or the perfect storm, whatever picture you want to use. And uh, part of the challenge for us is to learn not just to get through those waves, but to grow and become stronger as God takes us through those waves. So that the time that we experience is not wasted, but rather time that God uses to bring about growth and maturation, development in our life. I don't know about you folks, that's where I want to go. I want to see life's experiences um, since I'm, I'm um, approaching advanced age at this point. Um, I want to be sure that, that God works His plan and that I am engaged actively and cooperating with that program. Let's pause for a minute and just ask the Lord to speak to us. Lord God, we uh, bless your name. Thank you, Lord, that you know us. You're eminently patient with us. You know our shtick, Lord, all our foolishness and our sin. Yet you love us and you are consistently at work both to will and to do you good pleasure. And uh, Lord, we want to hear your voice. We thank you, Lord, that you have been here this morning and speaking to us. And we pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us through this passage and that you will give us ears to hear and hearts that are receptive to take your word and to apply it and to grow by it. We ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. If you know me, you know that I've been raised in Israel, uh, a country that was typically uh, free of the Christmas madness. And uh, there's a part of me that still, um, the genes are expressing themselves after all these years. But um, before, before we uh, began Yeshua Tzion and really began uh, active ministry, I had this silly notion that Christmas for everybody um, was this Kodak moment, you know, the Norman Rockwell image, um, nice, soft, pastel colors, um, everybody sitting on a table cheerfully, um, and then I began to realize that maybe that just wasn't reality for everybody. I mean, part of it is the ethnic group that I represent, the Jewish people. Christmas time is always a time that is a time of great conflict, inner conflict, because we're surrounded by uh, non-Jews who think Christmas is awesome and wonderful, and uh, we celebrate Hanukkah. By the way, Hanukkah, which we will be celebrating um, in a little over a week, uh, was really never considered to be one of the biggies. It certainly isn't that way in Israel. 
But here in the United States, you, you need to be able to compete with a larger, um, the majority. And so, um, you know, now you have the eight days of Hanukkah where kids are given gifts every single day, um, which can obviously break the bank. Um, and I also realized that for many other people who are not Jewish, this season is, is a very painful season um, because the season reminds them either of someone's death, uh, a loved one who passed away, or else a, div a, a painful divorce, um, a time of brokenness. In fact, I remember uh, about five years into our ministry, um, one of the fellows who was part of Yeshua Tzion at the time told me that during s December, um, he basically battened down the hatches and kind of went into a defensive mode, battling suicidal tendencies. And so whether you are quite to that extreme or whether you are on the opposite side, um, the truth is all of us go through circumstances where we grit our teeth and uh, just say, how am I going to get through this? Health situations. Um, I'm a cancer survivor, so I understand something about that. Job upheavals, you know, where someone decides that the company is going to be downsized and you are downsized with it. Or all kinds of other circumstances, breaking up of relationships, and all of us come to a place where we are flat out of answers. Where our usual MO for dealing with reality just doesn't work. And that is exactly what we find in, in the Psalms. And elsewhere in scripture that people of God come to circumstances where their solutions just don't work. And so the question simply is, what, what happens during those times? Do you continue to try and do what clearly has never worked in the past? Or you step back and you say, okay, maybe, just maybe God is present in my life. And maybe, just maybe, because he is present, he cares. And maybe, just maybe, because he cares... And he is God. He has the power that is necessary to bring to bear on our life circumstances. And that's essentially the message you find here in Psalm 118. There obviously is a ton of sub-messages and sub-themes and we're not going to jump into all of them. And we're not really sure what is the circumstance from which this psalm was written. You know, sometimes... Uh, as you read through the Psalms, you see uh, a, a, a heading that says this such and such took place when David was in the, in the desert. Or one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 34, that speaks about the time, 
it's attributed to a time um, when David was in such bad uh, circumstance that he um, pres- pre- uh, that he acted as if he was Meshuggi. He was, was spitting and making all kinds of funny uh, gestures, and the Philistines, of all people, drove him away. You know, there are times I can really identify to that. So the short version, we're not sure what took place here. Possibly, uh, whoever is writing this, and could be David, is someone who is worshiping God for not only sparing him, but giving him significant victory over, over his enemies. That somehow God intervened in the situation and by the way, as you go through the psalm, you'll see God's name, God's four-letter name, or the abbreviation Yah appearing in here 21 times out of 29 verses. What does that tell you? It tells you that in the psalmist's mind, this song uh, is not about his trouble, but this psalm is about God. How God walked with him, how God pulled him out of the pit, and how he needs to give the credit to God. Now it's interesting that this is a song that became part of Judaism later on. It certainly has become part of Messianic Judaism. You may recognize that there are four songs that we sing on a, on a regular basis that come from this psalm. So The short version is the psalmist experienced a great deal of difficulty. In verse 5, we see that a lot of translations put it this way, in my anguish. And um, that gets it to some extent, but it also doesn't get it. Isaac, can I have some more, please? Um, the Hebrew word there that's translated anguish has to do with trouble, tzara. In other words, uh, the psalmist is saying, God, I was between a rock and a hard place. I was in a vice. And I cried out to the Lord. I cried out to you. And by the way, when you see this word, this phrase, cried out, it's not one of these nice, polite, uh, genteel uh, highly uh, spiritual sounding kind of prayer. It is, God, help! I mean, that's what crying out to God means, right? I don't know if you've been there. I certainly have. And um, the Lord answered. The Lord answered. Some translations then say he answered me by setting me free or he brought me from a narrow place into a wide place or you can simply say God was in a wide place and he answered me from the wide place meaning he said come on into the wide place. However you translate it um, God came through. 
Now, again, we don't really know what was going on. Um, distress can refer to the actual circumstance, or it can refer to the emotional distress that you get from being in a tough spot. You know how that is. Sometimes after a while, you, you are in a, tough, in a tough situation, and that kind of gets a life of its own. That even after the circumstances uh, settle down, you still are feeling like you have an 800-pound gorilla on your back. But whatever was going on here was severe and intense to where the psalmist is very, very, very wobbly. I was pushed back in verse 13. I was, and I'm going to jump back and forth, so please bear with me. Do your best if you can to follow. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. You know, almost has the picture of someone who is ill and um, has inner ear problems. You know how it is? You sometimes get up and, and, and you're unsta- unstable. But there's clearly more to it because in verse 18, 17 and 18, if you jump to those verses, things were so difficult that the psalmist felt like he was about to die. Verse 17, I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. Then verse 18, the Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. In other words, the psalmist feels like he was almost a goner. Part of the picture seems to be that there were enemies surrounding him Apparently, Gentile nations, they surrounded him. And, and that's a, a fairly common picture. You know how it is um, if you've seen movies in which a person is out in the wilds and, and they hear the, uh, the crying of the wolves and a chill runs down their spine, and then the wolves start to get closer and closer and closer and closer. That's kind of the imagery that you have here. But somehow, this person doesn't lay down and die. He has what I would call holy chutzpah. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. And folks, this is the reality for any of us when we come to difficult circumstances. We can either give in to them and say, nothing's going to change. Things will just get worse and worse and worse. I don't know if you've been there It's not uncommon for us to go through periods of depression. But somehow this this person is energized because of his relationship with the Lord. And remember that scripturally, the name of the Lord has the association with a person knowing the 
character and the power of God. At God's power, I cut them off. Almost gives you the sense that, that the enemy was um, in close combat with, with him. Kind of breathing. He could feel their breath. In the name of the Lord, he cut them off. You know, we really don't understand the power that God gives us because we are in covenant relationship with Him. So we look at these kinds of, uh, of passages and we say, I don't know, I've never been uh, in, in that kind of situation where uh, I would call on the name of the Lord and God would come through. You know, we read the account about uh, David and the Philistine Goliath and it's one of our favorite stories reality is we really can't relate to it I mean can you picture yourself standing in front of Goliath and and saying I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty right (laughs) however the point isn't heroics you know that we become another person that has written about the point is that simply that we get to know who God is. We get to know His power and His commitment to us. And regardless of what's happening in our life, we have this basic conviction that God will come through one way or another. The way God works things out may not be completely to our liking. However, It will always be to our good. Always be to our good. Because of this covenant relationship. And if you're not familiar with what scripture teaches about the covenants, let me encourage you to read over and over and over the message of the covenants. Because God Almighty obligates himself to his people as they walk with him to be in relationship with them, to be their protector and their provider. It's powerful stuff. So because of that, we believe all kinds of lies about God. You know, A, He doesn't care because He's got all kinds of um, people to take care of, Ebola in Africa and ISIS in, in the Middle East. Why should He care about me? Or else on some level, we might even feel that, that he wants to make us suffer. You know, it's kind of the Greek idea. You, you know, the Greeks had these myths where people were having a good time and the Greek and the gods looked down and said, uh-uh, a little bolt of lightning uh, to set them straight. And we tend to believe that about the Lord. We don't believe that he has our good in his heart. And what's worse, folks, is that we don't even believe that he has the power to intervene and bring about changes. That's become part of the picture. So in addition to whatever it is we're going through, 
There's also the disconnect between us and God. And yes, we, say, we may say we're believers, but we live lives as practical atheists. In other words, if God were to disappear from your life tomorrow, would your life be any different? I'm not asking for a show of hands. The psalmist has this basic gut, bedrock gut conviction that God is very much engaged with him. And no, things don't always make sense. And you know, sometimes we wish that the Lord would give us all kinds of information, such as, why did you do such and such? But since he's God, he doesn't always feel obligated to do that. You know, the, the challenging verse for us here is, the Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. And you say, well, thank you. That sounds lovely. So I will think twice before doing something stupid. Well, what does that mean, folks? The Lord has chastened me severely. Again, we have all kinds of negative imagery of God, lies that we have believed about who he is and his commitment to us. So we see this and say, ah, you know, this is another example of sinners in the hands of an angry God. Let me give a little clue from the Hebrew here. The word for chastening, yasar, is one of the wisdom words in the book of Proverbs. And it always has the connotation of discipline that is designed to teach something. In other words, it is not, it is not empty, um, capricious kind of discipline. You know, like sometimes um, you, you know that uh, parents get upset. You know, they're up all night and, and the kid is particularly obnoxious. And um, their response is not, well, let's sit down. Let's have a chat. Let me explain to you your basic development and how that you need to understand reality. Now we go. <laughs> that in our mind is chastening severely. The problem with that is that it's not scriptural. It's not, it's not a picture. It, it, it's a caricature of who God is. Because whatever it is that the Lord does in our life he does for the purpose of our strengthening, our building up, our healing, and our redemption. Amen. So whatever took place here, perhaps even in, in this case that God allowed or maybe even brought these Gentile nations to attack, all of that was under God's control because... The psalmist says, he has not given me over to death. In other words, God was working the plan all along here, and at some point he said, enough is enough. Here are the boundaries. You will not go any farther. And we don't understand the sovereignty of God, folks, that our lives are under God's control, that he has a plan, that he has a power to effect that plan. 
So when, when difficult things come, we assume that we're going to hell in a handbasket. Not understanding the fact that God is at work, especially during those times of crisis, those times of difficulty. The Lord has chast chastens us, and He does so by His love. Remember, verses like this always have to be compared and put together with 1 John 3, 1. Look at the kind of love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called His children. So we look at circumstances in life. Why did God allow this to happen? Why did God allow that to happen? In my case, I've periodically wondered, Lord, why did you allow cancer to come into my life? And at some point I realized just how foolish it was. God has seen to it that what needed to happen, happened. And I've seen his work in, in, in some of these areas. And I want to relate to you a story that took place a couple of years ago, an episode that for me was a major, less, a major message from God that said, I'm in control and nothing will happen to you other than what I have in mind. My grandson and I went hiking in um, Clear Creek Canyon and uh, we both like to pride ourselves that we were mountain goats. Well, one of us is. And uh, we were climbing, and, and the earth was soft, and it gave way. And I was, because he's a nimble monkey, he climbed all the way up to the top. And I was stuck about halfway. And it was very odd, very, very surreal kind of a feeling to be up there and realize that I don't have what it takes to climb out of danger, climb up, up to the top and get down. And I just knew that I was coming down. It was very, uh, very eerie, very strange kind of a sense. And I'm not going to sit here and say, at that point I was singing psalms and worshiping God. <laughs> As it turned out, I did come down about 25 feet, head over heels, and within two minutes, the EMTs were there. Somebody passed by, saw what was happening, called the EMTs. They came. My greatest suffering was the, the fact that they put me in one of these abominable neck collars. <laughs> no broken bones. And... Um, other than bruises and, and staples and stitches and so on. And yes, it was a very difficult circumstance, folks. I'm not going to stand here and lie to you. But over a period of time, after that happened, I, had, I, I became gripped with the basic conviction that God has my life measured out and that He will see to it that I live 
as long as he has planned for me to live and to do his work. And so I'm not going to tell you that I, uh, that I never have any fears, but it, it, it was a profound message from God that he's very much in control. And, and, and reality, folks, it's something that took some time to develop, but that's the way God works with each of us. You know, one of my favorite analogies is uh, that of the chicken on a spit. You know, you go to the store, you see the chicken, and it's being turned gradually, and there are parts of the chicken that are well done, parts of the chicken that are still very much frozen. And I'm convinced that this is not scriptural, okay? <laughs> but I'm convinced that that's the way God works with us, turning up the heat in areas where we are underdone. And at some point we say, Lord, thank you. Even for the times when you turn up the heat. Because A, it's well-intentioned. B, it is designed to bring about growth and maturation and strengthening so that I would be more fully equipped to do your work. And we can do one or two things. We can either accept it and embrace it and say, yes, this is true and, and I want to point my nose in that direction. Or you can say, fooey on this. I'm not interested in, in any more suffering. I don't care where it comes from. Kind of a stupid thing to do, but we do that from time to time. And also part of the picture, folks, is we tend to be myopic. You know, we think about ourselves, me, myself, and I, or perhaps my family. God got me through. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. All right, let's move on. What have you done for me lately? <laughs> and we forget one basic scriptural reality is that what God does in us is not merely because we have a need, but what God does in us is first and foremost so that people will look and see who He is and will come to worship Him the way we have. In other words, our trials, our platforms, our stage that God works on in order to draw people's attention. And yes, part of the picture is that He blesses us and, and does His work in us. But this is, first of all, for God's name to be exalted, lifted up in the spotlight, shine on Him. Isaiah puts it this way in 55.13, Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree, Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. Also in Ezekiel 36, the Lord says to Israel, as part of the plan to bring about restoration, He says, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord, when I show myself holy through, th through you, 
before their eyes. That's the ultimate goal, folks. And I know this is highly un-American, and, and it grinds against uh, the spirit of the age, which, uh, which exalts the individual. But folks, reality is, you and I, who are committed to following Yeshua, are swimming against this, the current. Against the current of society that focuses attention on the individual and self-actualization and all of that, those selves. Instead, our focus is on God. And yes, we anticipate that part of our covenant relationship with Him is that yes, He will come through for us. But that ultimately what needs to happen is not for us, but rather for Him and others who need to hear. Verse 15 of this of chapter 18 here, 118. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. In other words, God somehow stretches his hand. And does decisive work in our life. But the end result is that he is exalted. He is brought into a higher place. Now you know that's one of these lovely spiritual terms that we say sometimes and really have no clue what it means. Oh magnify the Lord. Now what does that mean? Well it means that God is raised up on a platform so everybody can see him. That's really what that means, folks. And our life circumstances are designed to bring that about. And yet we tend to bucket, we tend to fight it because all we're interested in is me, me, me. But the song, this psalm is full of the psalmist saying, I will give thanks, I will give thanks, I will give thanks, I will give thanks, I will give thanks. Open to me the gates of righteousness, I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. Verse 19, verse 21, I'll give you thanks for you have answered me and you have become my salvation. And I want to park on verse 17 of this chapter for a few minutes. I will not die, but will live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. Now, the, the Hebrew word there, I want to explain it for a minute, because we can look at this verse and say, I'm sorry, I'm not the kind to stand up and proclaim anything. That's not how I'm wired. God, if you want me to stand up and proclaim and declare, forget it, you need somebody else. Well, not so fast. Hebrew word that's used there, safar, can simply mean to recount or rehearse. You know how it is, folks. You go someplace, um, you go shopping, you find a great deal, 
and uh, do you sit on it and and um, tell nobody about it, or do you get on your email or your phone or your Facebook and tell everybody, hey, go over there, there's a great deal taking place. You know, for Christmas or Hanukkah, whatever, we talk about it, we talk it up. Why do we not do that about the Lord? Does it have to be the, uh, the, the kind of mode where we work ourselves into a, into a tizzy and, and see if we can come up with a, um, a sales spiel to, to tell somebody? Folks, the simple reality is, is this. If God is at work in your life, if he reaches down and gets a hold of you, and brings about change and transformation and healing and blessing in your life. Are you really going to sit on it? Or are you going to talk about it? As God gives you opportunity. As God gives you divine appointment. As you have the, the doors open. You'll talk about it. And it will not be because you, you drive yourself mishugi. But because the spirit of God who is in you, will anoint you and empower you and nudge you, and it will come out. You will proclaim what the Lord has done. And, and this is so difficult, folks, for us to get our arms around, because, you know, when you hear someone say, you are a communicator of the word of God. You say, right. But we are, folks. We are. You know, um, the Broncos win. Um, everybody goes and talks about it, you know. And microanalyzes all the, the moves and plays it back and all this kind of stuff. Well, um, isn't God a little bit more significant than what the Broncos did? So you say, well, I don't have what it takes. Well, that's where we learn to rely on the Spirit of God. And Yeshua said to his disciples, you will receive power when the Spirit of God comes upon you and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Not about you, your strengths, your weaknesses, your deficiencies, your insecurities, any of that. It is simply that you welcome God to act. You welcome God to rule. You learn to grow in your faith and your love relationship with God. Then you step back and see what He does. And you simply say, God, thank you. Sometimes it's complicated, but most of the time it is talking up what God has done. Now, another personal illustration that may speak to you. Um, some of you may have known my father while he was alive. What I like to describe as someone who was a big man on campus. You know, he was a major figure. And what people didn't know is that he was a pot of clay. Meaning he had the underbelly 
And I, as his son, got to see the underbelly. And before he died, I got to see several exposures of that underbelly. So that when he passed, I was one highly conflicted individual. You know, I wanted to honor him like Scripture says at the same time. Um, I wanted to spit bullets. Not exactly a godly response. And uh, I knew that the Lord had a different plan. So over a period of time, I wrestled with the Lord. And he, of course, won. You know how it is when you've wrestled with God. You know who wins? (laughs) And at some point I said, Lord, would, would you please bring the the positive memories and cause me to and redeem what I have in my mind my memories as his legacy it took a while and the Lord has done that and I praise him it wasn't me but part of the picture folks is that as God does things in your life you will talk about it And, and one of our folks came to me And part of what she was talking was about a great conflict that she was having with her father. So out of what God had done with me, I was able to share the hope and encouragement that God had for her. And that's simply, folks, what God wants to do with each of us. You know, we have this imagery, this awful imagery of, Lord, if I submit to you, uh, you will send me to the absolutely worst possible spot. <laughs> and the Lord uses each one of us as His representatives, as His ambassadors in whatever area of life He puts us in. Because there are places that you go and, and the Lord goes with you that people will be touched in a way that perhaps some of us are not able to do. You know, I have not been given the brains to be an IT person like some of our IT brains here. And, uh, you know, when when they go, go to work, the Lord is there and they're able to interact with the folks who are convinced that this world is governed by man. And you guys who are put in those kinds of positions, just by your life, are able to say to them, no, God is the one who rules. And this is what the Lord wants to do, folks. You know, we see the chastening, and we bristle at it. We have, we have a fit but remember what the book of Hebrews 12, 11 tells us about God's chastening. Discipline is not, ple- is not pleasant. Duh, of course, we get that. Even painful, yes, we get that too. However, it produces peaceful fruits of righteousness, not to everybody, but to those who are willing to be trained by it. Receive the training and, and, and allow God to impart knowledge and wisdom through those 
difficult, painful, disciplinary situations. And no, we don't know why the Lord does that. We're not going to step back and say, oh, yeah, okay, uh, uh, six months ago I did such and such, and therefore God brought this discipline into my life. We don't know that. Short version is God is working. He knows us better than we know ourselves, right? And he knows what areas the chicken still needs a whole bunch of heat. And he's faithful to bring about that heat so that we learn to grow into maturity and so that he is the one who receives all the credit. Do you want to go there? Or are you still back here where you're convinced that God has no interest, no desire whatsoever to help you? As we pray, as we take some time to worship, to conclude the service with worship, let me, let me just encourage you, wherever you are in this process, to take a few minutes and say, Lord, I, I want to I wanna glom on to what you're saying here in, in, in this word. Because I want circumstances to be productive, to be beneficial, to promote growth and faith in, in my relationship with you. And I want to see you receive the honor and the glory. Make that decision. Let's pray. Lord, we bless your name and we thank you, Lord, that your thoughts for us are only that which is good. We thank you, Lord God, that you know us intimately. You know every part of us. You know us when we sit, when we stand, when we think. You even know the thoughts that we think before we think those thoughts. Forgive us, Lord, for our foolishness in buying into lies and refusing to accept your goodness for us. Refusing, Lord, to accept your sovereign power that you bring to bear in our life. Lord God, we pray for that holy chutzpah, for the heart of courage. Lord, to embrace your good plans for us through thick and thin and worship you, Lord, in each and every one of those circumstances learning and being trained by you, Lord, as we go through them. We pray, Lord God, that we would learn to follow you, Lord, and to give you the honor and the glory. And we ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen.